Well, good morning. If you turn your Bible to Mark chapter 12, and uh, today we'll be reading from verses 13 to 17. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. When I was a kid, I played uh, travel hockey. And for some of the years when I was growing up, my dad was the coach of the team. And I really enjoyed that. That was a great experience. Some of the fondest memories I had as a child were playing hockey with my dad. Um, So it was overall a great thing, but it kind of had some weird uh, situations involved in it. Uh, Like for tryouts, I would think to myself, so my dad's a coach. Why do I have to go try out? And I think I asked him one time, I was like, so do I have to go to tryouts? He's like, yeah, you got to go to tryouts and you got to try as hard as you can at tryouts. But even when I went to tryouts, I'm thinking to myself, what, what am I doing here? I'm on the team. I've already made it. And all these other kids are wondering if they make it. And then it's kind of, you know, I thought to myself, so how do I deal with assistant coaches? Sometimes if there was an assistant coach that I thought to myself, well, he doesn't really know hockey that well, and he told me something, I'd say, okay, yeah, yeah. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, he's not the coach. My dad's the coach. He's the one who makes the decisions. I don't really care what he has to say. And I think Christians throughout history have kind of lived in a similar type of tension. As Christians, it's kind of like our dad's the coach. We already know that we've made the team. We already know how it's going to turn out. And so then the question is, how do we deal with the assistant coaches? How do we deal with the people who are in authority over us? How do we deal with the government, governmental authorities that are placed over us? And sometimes Christians throughout the, the ages have had this tendency to say, I don't have to listen to you. My dad's the coach. I know how it's going to turn out. And so I don't have to listen to you. This tension is intensified when... Those in authority over us are perceived to be especially oppressive or wicked. No matter what our thoughts on politics are, it's pretty clear that most people in America don't really trust the people in government that much. In 1964, there was a poll that was done by the Pew Forum. It's done, I think, every year. And in 1964, they found that 77% of Americans believed that the government in Washington would do the right thing Almost all or most of the time. In 2017, December 2017, that number was down to 18%. 18% trusted that the government would do what was right almost all or most of the time. 
So as Americans, we've clearly lost faith in the government. And if you're a Democrat, you might say that it's because of the Republicans. If you're a Republican, you'll say it's because of the Democrats. But we all have a mistrust in the government. And so then the question arises, how do we deal with these authority figures? How do we deal with a government that maybe promotes things that we don't agree with? Or does things that are corrupt? But if we think we have it difficult today, imagine how the Jews in Jesus' day. Imagine the tension that they had. The Romans were an authority during this time period, and they were oppressive of the Jewish people. And it wasn't always like that. The Jewish people once had a glorious kingdom during the reign of David and Solomon who built this glorious, beautiful temple. But now the Romans are uh, subjecting them. And they believe they look down on these Romans who were, were Gentiles. And they believe that one day the Messiah would come and drive the Gentiles out of the temple, out of Jerusalem. And once and for all, Israel would regain its place of prominency. And so the question is, so how do we deal with these people who are in authority over us? Yes, we know that one day God is going to liberate us. One day he's going to drive out these Gentiles. But how do we deal with these Gentiles now who are oppressing us? It was a difficult question and different Jews had different ways of uh, working that out. And so these Herodians and Pharisees bring this question to Jesus because it's so controversial, because there were so many different opinions on it. And the Pharisees and Herodians, they're united by one thing. They just want to trap Jesus. We don't know a lot about the Herodians, but we don't think they, they were that much like the Pharisees, except for that they wanted to trap Jesus. And they come and they're going to ask him a loaded question, a question that doesn't have any good answer. It's a question like, so, have you stopped lying yet? I mean, how do you answer that question? If you say yes, you're admitting that you were lying in the past and now you've decided not to lie. And if you say no, then you're saying, well, I'm not stopping lying. I'm still continuing to lie. I mean, it's a question like that. Jesus can't seem to win uh, this, this, or give a good answer to this question. But they start first by trying to kind of butter him up. They say, teacher, we know that you're true. You don't care about anyone else's opinion. For you're not swayed by appearances. But truly teach the way of God. And then they ask him, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? This was a loaded question because there were so many different perspectives on this issue. Now, if Jesus said, yes, you have to pay taxes, then that would have angered the zealots who wanted to overthrow the Romans. And it would have been perceived like Jesus was giving legitimacy to this pagan nation. And it would seem like he was betraying his own people. But if he said no, then the Romans would get word of that. And they would have likely come and arrested him on the spot for teaching insurrection against the state. And really, that's what the Pharisees and the Herodians are trying to do. They're trying to get him in trouble, trying to get the people to turn against him. And so they bring him this controversial question. No easy yes or no answer. But Jesus gives a response that's quite remarkable. He says, bring me a denarius. So they bring him one. And this denarius was the same amount of currency that was required to pay the poll tax. 
And it's significant because the question, should we pay taxes or not, is really the question, should we recognize the authority of this pagan nation who's over us? And should we buy into this system of government that's above us? But the fact that they can produce a denarius at will, that they're carrying it around in their pocket, shows that they've already bought into the Roman system. That they're already using Roman money to buy and to sell. And while they question whether you should pay taxes or not, they're still part of the system. So Jesus looks at the coin and he says, whose likeness is on this coin and whose inscription is this? The Roman denarius from this time frame would have likely had a picture of Tiberius Caesar on the front. And the inscription, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. On the back would have been a picture of Caesar's mother with the inscription, High Priest. So in essence, the coin that these religious leaders are carrying around is a coin that declares Caesar to be the Son of God. And yet they're asking, should we pay this to Caesar? And Jesus says, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. He says, this is Caesar's coin. Caesar is the king of this earthly realm. He's the one who's the king of this monastery system. And if you're going to carry around a coin with a picture of Caesar on it, if you're going to use that to buy and to sell, if he requires that of you, you need to give it back to him. He says, you should play within the rules of the system that you've already bought into. And in that, he teaches us that our money may belong to man. That is, God has ordained that there would be governments over people who would have the task of punishing those who do evil and rewarding those who do good. And as citizens, we are responsible. We have a debt to them when it's required of us. Romans 13 says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to to bad. Would you have no fear to the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, that's God's design for the government, that they would punish the evildoer, reward those who do good. And immediately when we think about these passages, when we read a passage like this in Romans 13, or even this passage in Mark chapter 12, immediately sometimes our minds go to kind of extreme examples. And we think to ourselves, so does that mean that people should have just followed along blindly in like people in like countries like Nazi Germany? Now, I think we're going a little bit extreme when we think about those extreme situations. And when in those situations, these kind of rules wouldn't apply because they're not functioning as a government in Nazi Germany and other authoritarian regimes. They punished that which was good and they rewarded that which was evil. So they were doing kind of the opposite of what government was supposed to do. And so it wouldn't be a a calling to obey that kind of a government. But assuming we don't live in Nazi Germany or something similar to that, assuming we live in the United States of America, 
or in Paul's day in Rome, Jesus calls us to respect and to obey those who are in authority over us. Now, in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, they can't say the government was perfect. It was uh, sometimes very corrupt. I mean, even this passage shows us that the denarius has blasphemous messages on it, that Caesar is the son of God. So it was far from perfect, but in general, it had the responsibility of upholding the good, punishing the evildoer. And so Jesus, and later Paul, will say, We have an obligation to those who are in government over us. So if they ask you to the tax of a denarius, pay it, for it belongs to them. And in the same way, we love to complain about our government. We love to complain about taxes and the brokenness in our system of government. And certainly there's a lot of blame to go around. Yet we're part of this system. We use currency to buy and to sell. We use the roads that are constructed to drive. We rely on the police force and the military to protect us. And so we have a debt to society, a debt to the governing authorities who are over us. And so this 4th of July, let us remember with gratitude the blessings that we have. And quite honestly, we have one of the greatest society, even with all of its flaws, we have one of the greatest countries and societies ever to exist on the planet. And we're so blessed to live in this country despite all the flaws that it has. And so we have a debt of honor and respect to those who have gone before us, who have paved the way for our freedom. And we also, when required, are required to give to the governing authorities. Jesus says the money has Caesar's image on it. It belongs to him. You know, we think about the currency that we carry. You know, you carry, uh, you know, some money in your pocket has a picture of a president on it. And it's something that was given to us at one point by the government. And it belongs to the government. It's something we're not supposed to even deface because it's government property. And when the government requires it of us, we need to pay to those in authority over us. Of course, there's limits to that. There's limits to the responsibility we have to the state. And Jesus is going to get into that in just a moment. But the point is, there are some things that we are indebted to give to our country, to those in authority over us. But again, Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, render to Caesar what's Caesar's. And then he says, render to God what belongs to God. Now, remember when Jesus asked the religious leaders, so bring me a denarius. He says, whose image and whose inscription is on this coin? The word for image or likeness is the word icon. And this word icon is used uh, back in Genesis chapter 1 in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So Jesus asked the question, whose image and inscription is on that coin? He says, Caesar's. He says, so it belongs to Caesar. Render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. 
But what if he had asked, so see that man over there? See that woman over there? Whose image is on his or her heart? It's God's. It's God's image that's written on his or her heart. And because of that, they belong to God. Render to God what belongs to God. See, our money may belong to man, but our hearts, they belong to God. About the government and we think about the things that they provide for us, the infrastructure, the roads, the police, the military that protects us and allows us to worship and freedom. But then think about all the things that God does for us, all the blessings that he provides for us. How he made us in his image, in his likeness. Put his stamp on us. Put us in a garden, a beautiful garden where he gave us everything that we needed to live. And yet our first parents, they rebelled against God's ownership of their life. And said, I'd rather do life on my own. I'd rather go my own way. And so we inherit a curse, a sin nature. And we all have that tendency to resist God's ownership of our life. To say, I'd rather do my life my own way. I'd rather you just keep your hands off. We have that tendency, and because of that tendency, we're separated from God, and if nothing changes, we'll spend forever separated from God. Yet God, in His great mercy, He chose to send His Son to redeem us, to buy us back, so that the grave wouldn't be able to own us, so hell couldn't contain us, so that the curse would not win. In short, so that we might belong to Him. So that sin would no longer be our master, but that we would be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so He sent His Son to die on the cross for us so that we might spend forever with Him, so that we might belong to Him forever. As Christians, we... We don't just belong to God in a general sense. Everyone belongs to Him in the sense that they're made in the image of God. But we also belong to the family of God in that we've been adopted and bought with a price. And because of that, the Scriptures promise us that there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Romans 8, 38-9-1 says, For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The words of the song that we just sang put it this way, the enemy can't take what I have or change who I am. When we get a hold of that reality, when we realize that we belong to God, it changes everything. It changes how we view our time. No longer do we talk about giving God some of our time. We realize that all of our time belongs to Him. No longer do we talk about giving God some of our money. We realize that all of our money belongs to Him. No longer do we talk about our career or our path, but we talk about the career or path that He's chosen to bless us with. It changes our perspective when we realize that we belong to God. In the great theological film called Toy Story, in the first part, uh, Woody, the uh, cowboy, confronts Buzz Lightyear, of course, as the space ranger, because Buzz Lightyear thinks that he's a real space ranger. He comes out of his package and he's 
using his laser. He thinks he can fly. He thinks he's a real space ranger. And Woody sets him straight and is like, you're just a toy. You're just a little toy. You can't fly. You don't have a real laser. You're just a toy. Buzz Lightyear doesn't buy it. But then a little later in the movie, he tries to fly and realizes he can't really fly. He's not a real space ranger. And so he's sitting there dejected, just kind of gives up on trying to save the other toys from the predicament they're in. And he says, I'm just a stupid, little, insignificant toy. At this point, Woody tries to comfort him. And he says, you must not be thinking clearly. Look, over in that house, there's a kid who thinks you're the greatest. It's not because you're a space ranger, pal. It's just because you're a toy. You're his toy. After that, Buzz lifts his foot. And he sees a label affixed to the bottom of his shoe. There in black permanent ink is the name of the little boy, Andy, to whom he belongs. He sees that name on the bottom of his foot, realizes who his owner is, realizes who he belongs to, and has the resolve to go and save the rest of the toys. When we get a glimpse of the fact that we belong to God, that he's bought us with a price, it changes how we live our lives changes how we handle our possessions. It changes how we handle our pursuits. And we realize that everything we have, we owe to God. Everything. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Jesus says, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Yeah, you have a debt if you're a part of the system. If you're using a coin to buy and to sell, yes, you have a debt to pay taxes. But you also have a debt to God. The God who made you in His image. The God who's bought you, for those of us who are believers in Jesus. Who's made us new. And the debt we owe to Him is all of our lives. Everything that we have. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you put your stamp upon us. You put your icon, your image upon our hearts. And we thank you that though we often would choose to go our own way, to reject your ownership, yet you came to the earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to redeem us, to buy us back so that we might be a part of your family, so that we might have hope so that we might belong to you forever. Lord, we thank you for that grace. God, as we live our lives, God, I pray that we would be transformed by the fact that we belong to you. That everything we have, everything that we do, all of our pursuits, all of our dreams, but we would, use, we would see all of them through the lens of your glory and through the fact that everything we have belongs to you. Lord, give us the strength to do that through the Holy Spirit today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.